0: evening. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to the show. It is December 6th, 2017. Let me ask you a question. you ever think about your relationship in terms of sex and love and intimacy, infidelity, satisfaction? Well, we're going to talk talk about all of that with our special guest, Angela Skirtu who's a sex therapist and a relationship expert. She's going to be on in a few minutes. I was mentioning we've had some uh, technical issues with uh, the broadcast, uh, the podcast, the last couple of times out of the box, but no worries, it's mercury and retrograde. You never know what's going to happen. I've tried some different equipment. I'm going to be switching off to a fresh new studio equipment at the start of the year coming up, so we should be fine. We're already booked for Guys Guys Radio right through next April. So we're very excited about that. We do our shows on uh, Wednesdays at um, usually at 7 p.m. Eastern time. But you can listen in to all 253 Guys Guys Radio podcasts on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn Radio. Rate us, review us and subscribe. Because we just keep going and going and going. And we're going to be adding a either once or twice monthly weekend podcast also. Because we have so many guests that things are starting to get backed up. I mean, I'm already in mid-April now with guests coming up. So I think we're going to add some podcasts. So looking forward to that. Let's talk a little bit about the whole Guys Guys Radio, where we started, where we're going. Um, It all came out of my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, which is kind of a male sex in the city the book 's available, you can pick it up on amazon it 's a great stocking stuffer uh, it 's fun it 's kind of like sex in the city meets entourage it 's not really bro culture it 's really about love and it 's about two guys com- competing in advertising for love, sex power, and money and From there, I started blogging because the main character in the book writes a column called the guy 's guy 's Guide to Love. And I started writing some blog posts on uh, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I dot com. And we've got almost 275 posts up there. We do at least one fresh one a week. They're about a thousand words to twelve hundred words long. We get syndicated to various other websites. But check us out on robertmanny.com dot com. Also, we're on, uh, as I mentioned, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, on Instagram, we're all over the place. Um, and we just keep growing and growing and growing, and we really are spending a message, which is when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins, so, and that's what we're all about. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on out in the world, and then we'll, take a, uh, we'll do the guy's guy of the week, and uh, we'll take a very quick break, and we'll take it from there. So this is December. It's time where holidays are going to be right in our face, right away. Um, Black Friday and all that stuff's behind us. Everybody's now. Today I was talking to my wife. Should we send out holiday cards? we got to put a card together. We should get a picture of my son on there. All that scrambling. I've already noticed uh, that the uh, shipments for uh, I've ordered gifts online, as I guess everybody's doing nowadays, and I noticed that everything's backed up. I've gotten wrong stuff. I've not received things, um, real problem. And um, I think this system, the transportation system has been overloaded, that they don't have the capacity with, uh, you know, the rise of Amazon and the rise of online shopping. It goes up a couple of, you know, a couple of billion dollars every year that I don't know if the system is in position to handle it from an infrastructure standpoint. So, uh, if you haven't ordered your stuff online and you're planning to, I strongly suggest you get out there now and do it because, uh, I've already, I ordered around black Friday and I've gotten the wrong stuff. I've gotten things that I still haven't received yet. Uh, and, uh, and things getting delayed. And then there's been weather, so uh, just be prepared because it's going to be a crazy December. Um, this is marks the first week of uh, fantasy football for those who play if you're in the playoffs. So everybody's scrambling around because now with the NFL, they have games every Thursday. So you have to like, do all your research and get all that stuff out there. There's Thursday games. There's there's Sunday games. There's Monday games. And now when you get towards the end of the season, there'll be some Saturday games I don't know if there's any Friday games, but uh, there's a lot of games coming up. So uh, get your team and your lineup set up and get out there and uh, plan to win. Um, I am going to talk a little bit about my uh, guy's guy of the week um, as I normally do, and it's going to be an anti guy's guy of the week. I had two really uh, negative uh, circumstances with uh, big consumer companies in terms of shipments. So one, I ordered some sneakers Uh, We, my wife and I ordered three pairs of sneakers. Two of them were not even close in terms of the size or anything. And we had to return them. And that was a month ago. And I still haven't gotten, uh, I still haven't gotten paid a refund on that. And they, they sent me an email saying that, well, first they, they couldn't tell me that they had received my shipment. And then the gentleman who worked there said, oh, yeah, your shipment's at a warehouse in someplace in California, but that's not the main warehouse. And then I had to speak to a supervisor, and it turns out that is the right warehouse. Now, that was over a week ago. Then I got an email saying, oh, we're taking care of everything. You'll have your refund right away. I still don't have it. Then they sent me an email saying, oh, we're going to send you a 20% coupon. You know, big deal. You go on their website, and everything's 20% off anyhow. So um, I'm all I'm gonna say is it's a sneaker company that uh, has a big animal on it, uh, so that's one. The other is a big jeans company where I got the wrong product on Black Friday and then I uh, got skinny jeans and I had ordered a shirt and then I uh, didn't want the skinny jeans. So I called up and they said, send it back and we're gonna send you the shirts and you'll get it in two days. So two to three days went by, nothing. So I called up and they said, Oh yeah, we, we, we didn't have the shirt. So we refunded you. And, uh, but if you want to buy the shirt, you can buy the shirt now, but they wanted to sell it to me at a higher price than I had already paid for it where they had already shipped me the wrong product. So I said, though, no, that's not acceptable. So then they got a another supervisor called me a couple of days later and said, okay, we'll sell it back to you for the, pr- we don't know when we're ever, if we're ever going to get this product again, but if we do, we'll sell it to you at the price you were going to pay for it, but we don't know if we're ever gonna get the product. But if you do, if it does come online, let us know. And then what you can do is you can order it and use our special code, and then uh, we'll give you that same discount. And I said, you know what, that's not acceptable. And I said, well, what do you want? And I said, I think you should send me the shirt for nothing. And so they're looking into that now. But for right now, I'm gonna say these big consumer companies, and I've worked for them in marketing, I've been a brand manager and, uh, and other jobs at the big consumer companies. And consumer is king. And I think a lot of these companies have gotten so big and powerful that they forget. They forget the, that the customers is what drives the business. So my anti-guys guys of the week are the, uh, the two consumer companies that had uh, untrained, let's call them, not properly trained customer service representatives and less than stellar uh, respect for the consumers. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to bring my special guest on in a moment. It is 7:14. Uh, seven 14. We're going to take a very quick break and we'll bring our special guest on in a moment. Thanks. Okay. We're back. Welcome again to guys guys radio. As I mentioned, our special guest this evening is Angela Skirtu. She's a pre-marital counselor as well as her, just a counselor for sex, a strategic thinker, a relationship uh, counselor. She's author of the book, Premarital Counseling, a Guide for for Clinicians. And she has another book coming out called Helping Couples Overcome Fidelity, a therapist's manual. She's spoken for a wide variety of audiences locally, nationally, internationally as a keynote speaker, uh, workshop presenter, webinars. She co-hosts her own podcast called the About Sex podcast, where she discusses uh, sexual health topics on a weekly basis. She's contributed for many magazines, and uh, she's been on TV and and on Huffington Post. Uh, And her personal mission is to help people create a life worth living by breaking down many of life's challenges into easy steps that make it simpler to affect change. And uh, that's kind of an overarching Mm -hmm. message above what she does on a day-to-day basis. A quote from her, Angela says, I deeply value, love, and respect people. My ultimate goal is to help you live a healthy, happy life. So I'm pleased to welcome Angela Skirtu to Guys Guys Radio. Good evening, Angela. Thanks for hanging on there.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, it's a pleasure. I mean, this is Guys Guys Radio, the place where men and women can be at their best. Better men, better world. We really are uh, starting a movement where we're recognizing the long overdue recognition for women. And uh, we like to say that it's never been a better time to be a guy. And guys can be whatever they want to be now, but it's less clear who they are right now. So we're at a a crazy place in time where women are ascending and guys are kind of sometimes not sure what their roles are. So I think doing what you do is perfect. So tell us about what inspired you to become a a therapist.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of different things. Um, Growing up, I kind of was in a conservative background and I I heard a lot of shame and fear messages when it came to sex or no information about sex. And um, what I found is oh, they're really bad ways to approach sex. And I'm not the only person who was raised in that mentality. A lot of couples that I work with currently are struggling with that mentality now that either they feel like they can't talk about sex with each other and um, or they're in the opposite role where they feel like they're almost like in a fight or flight response when it comes to sex, which is fight about it when they're mad about it or do kind of a therapy session around it. And all of those things get you no closer to a better sex life. <laughs> And So that's one piece of it. And, of course, I've always wanted to help people have better relationships. I love studying marriage and and happiness and kind of, you know, like I love getting involved in the research to explore, like, what really gets people there? How do people have awesome relationships? So um, just kind of having a a background where I saw things not working very well was my start. I uh, happen to have a lot of young friends who were getting married at very young ages as a result of kind of the training that we all went through, you know, just religious stuff. And it's funny because literally a year after all of them would say things like all the females that were my friends would say, you know what? I don't like sex. I'm kind of just doing it for him now. It's not it's not my cup of tea, but, you know, I'll just do this for him. And that's like a really bad mentality for good sex, because essentially it makes women not want to do it all together. And then it makes men struggle, too, because then they're unhappy. You know, I mean, a big piece of of a happy relationship is a happy sex life. And so Let kind me of ask. Let's, combination let's,
0: of that. <laughs> okay, let's let's hold on that point. Let's drill down a little bit on that point because what okay. is it that, uh, from your experience, when you're speaking to some of these women and they're, uh, you know, they get married and they're like, well, I, you know, I'm not that interested in having sex anymore. Whereas, you know, the guys, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they're. Uh, they're pretty much into sex. And when they get married, they think, well, great. I got my own like sex companion here all the time. And uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. the dynamic change. And then when you have a child or children come into the picture, then sex becomes a less uh, driving force in the uh, relationship. So how do you, what, what, what causes all of this? And it sounds like there's a bigger change with women than there is for guys. And I'm not, that's not judgmental or anything. It's just an observation.
1: You know, if I, if I were to kind of for so like, first of all, the answer is always it's complex, but like I've sure. been seeing a pattern in people and that I just kind of want to put out there. So what I see in the young twenties is people work very hard and they lose some of the hobbies or personal interests that they once had in high school. Like people used to have extracurricular activities, but then they suddenly they become working age and then they focus that and then they're looking for a partner. So they find their partner Now, everybody for that first six months to two years has a decent, or most people, I shouldn't say everybody, because, of course, there's always going to be somebody who calls in and says, well, I didn't have a good sex life my first six months to two years. So there are your outliers. Don't don't get me wrong. But for the most part, people will say that first six months to two years was great because everything's new. You're kind of excited to learn about each other. You're in that, like, honeymoon period. Everybody calls it the honeymoon period, right? So -hmm. then after that six months to two years, what happens is, um, sex starts to dwindle that that natural desire that used to come out is it, it's something you have to work for and a lot of people haven't been taught this right they're like okay yeah the desire is going to dwindle but that doesn't mean you don't get desire it means you have to work more at it you have to explore what you like and what you don't like and why I mentioned like this workaholism piece is that you also need individual time for yourselves and you need couple time and it needs to not be like, um, like working 60 hour weeks, and then trying to shove in sex somewhere in these open spaces. And, um, you know, it's funny, I actually was just in an article talking about this. And, and like, I don't think that people don't know how to have sex. I think that people do not have time for it. And when you're working like that, it makes it very difficult to enjoy sex, and especially for women, because women need to be able to relax, we need to be able to get our mind in the game it's not that guys don't need to get their mind in the game but i think sometimes men are a little bit more motivated to get in the game (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. you want you want sex you enjoy it so like even if you weren't in the mood many of you will find a way to get in the mood whereas females they really need to slow down they need to relax they need to have their thoughts away from that work day and then you mentioned kids right So, like, okay, Mm -hmm. now there already is this workaholism of, like, we're doing 60-hour weeks, and now kids are involved, and now there's even less time for us and who we are as people, and it's work, 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 and then it's also the kids take all the extra time, and there literally is nothing left for the couple or even the individual of just, you know what, like, having a hobby or, I don't know, (laughs) just getting alone time in a bath, (laughs) and you need those things to relax, to potentially be interested in sex. So. I don't know. I just see this thing happening. And then basically what happens is everybody loses themselves. And by the time they hit around the forties, hence my book about the infidelity piece, then they have, they get selfish. They're so mad because they've basically given all of themselves to everything else, but what they need to be happy. And then somebody comes around who's finally giving them attention and they are more open to doing it because they're unhappy. And it's like this grass is greener mentality that people get into and what I think is that throughout life, we need to have a better work-life balance. You really do need to still have time as a couple and time as individuals, even when you have kids. And it's, it's a hard thing to change because I think our culture is really promoting this lifestyle.
0: So it's the infidelity. It's the, uh, the casual, other casual partners. I mean, what's the kind of the pros and cons of that type of if, if it comes to that? Um, how do you advise your clients? Because I guess in one way, if it's an outlet, I know many men can have an easy time compartmentalizing sex. I mean, just look okay. at the fact that, you know, they're building sex robots now. I mean, the guys, uh, <laughs> I, the guys <laughs> they don't care that much. Women want more, I think more of an int- intimacy. And, um, but if they're now seeing this uh, no strings attached outlet, uh, that doesn't have the same anxiety as maybe their home life, uh, it seems like, well, okay, mm-hmm. I can do that. But talk, talk, I'm just riffing. Just talk to us a little sure, bit about sure. what, what some of that those dynamics.
1: Well, so uh, like I said, I really think it comes, it starts with this loneliness in your marriage that basically people are putting their relationship on the back burner And so then with the casual sex, you know, yes, men tend to be a little bit better at compartmentalizing sex, but I see females cheating too. It's about the same as far as the rates between males and females cheating. Mm -hmm. Um, They just cheat in different ways. So men are more likely to do the casual sex or the one night stand, but that doesn't mean they can't fall in love. And women are more likely to have emotional affairs, but that doesn't mean they can't have casual sex either. But what I think happens is people are feeling very restless and very unhappy. And then somebody, and like, since it's kind of a life cycle time where, like, everybody's feeling that way and they're all kind of in this, like, uh, restless, what's life got to offer? So there's enough people in that age that maybe one of those people crosses your path and then they mm-hmm. start to talk. It always starts with commiserating or often. I'm not allowed to say always as a therapist because, of course, sure. there's always somebody who has mm-hmm. a different story, right? but it's commonly starting with commiserating and people are just sharing and they're becoming friends. But part of the piece of it is that instead of getting their needs met from their partner, they're getting their needs met now by this other person. Like even if it's just sharing, you know, I had a rough day, me and my wife fought, and I'm, I'm hurt. I'm feeling really sad about that. Instead of being able to go to your wife or your partner and say, you know what, I'm struggling. I feel like we need to put more energy into each other. I'm lo- I feel like we're losing each other. Instead, it's, it's like this other person comes into their life, And they put more energy into that. And then it almost always comes out because these days, like it's Facebook, we've got Snapchat, there are ways for people to find stuff. And then they end up in my office and we have to work through the whole process. But man, I wish people would just say, let's work on this relationship first. (laughs) Nobody does though.
0: Right. (laughs) Uh, Now your book, your first premarital counseling, a guide for clinicians. It sounds like what we really need is, um, a guidebook for uh just regular people in terms of what they're going to get into when they get married because I think a lot of people charge into it nowadays and sometimes Mm -hmm. they even you know think of it as well it's a starter marriage or whatever I know for myself I was single for so long (laughs) that nobody in my family on the holidays even asked me if I was getting married anymore and then I on my own I had been in some long-term relationships I figured out that I had to make room for somebody else in my heart uh, Um, because it was all about me. And once I came to that realization and consciously made that room, I knew that it would happen quickly. And it did. And I will always tell the story about, you know, I saw my mom on one Thanksgiving. I said, I'm going to get married mom. And she, uh, next year. And she said, really, who with who? And I said, I don't know. I haven't met the woman yet, but I know it's going to happen. And sure <laughs> enough, a year later I was engaged and a year later I was married. And I've been married for seven years now. And I had been single a long time. That's and nice I loved, you. Oh, thank you. I loved online <laughs> dating and I actually met my wife online. And uh, so all those things can work out, but Yeah. You know, there's no guidebook in terms of what to expect when you're getting into marriages, because I talk to a lot of people and a lot of them, a lot of younger people. You know, I hear the term starter marriages and this and that. And I don't know how Mm -hmm. seriously everybody's taking it, even though they'll throw a lot of money into the wedding ceremony and, the, you know, the celebration afterwards. Uh, But what what how would you advise people who are getting married? What are some of the questions they should ask themselves?
1: Well, that's a really good question, and, and to put it out there, I mean, part of that book that I wrote is is really trying to put some of that out there. So, yes, it was written for clinicians, but it's written easily enough that anybody can read it and kind of learn some of those pieces. But so the things that they should be asking are, you know, what are our expectations in marriage? I think everybody needs to understand that mm-hmm. because we expect so much out of our partners, we have a high probability of being unhappy in our relationships. And so some of it is really looking at all that you're asking of your partner. Like you're asking them to be your best friend, your best Mm -hmm. lover, to work on being great parents together, to explore finances, like be partners in life. And if you look back just a few hundred years ago, marriage was more about a financial connection or like Mm -hmm. a way to move up status. And it was Mm -hmm. it was a little bit less about the love and all of this other stuff that we're asking for. Um, that doesn't mean there's a right or wrong to that. I mean, I think it's good that we can choose love based on, you know, like being in love, not just being in marriages out of convenience or for finance. But I still think that you practically have to address those conversations. Part of what I cover in the book is, um, have you had a conversation about finances? Are you guys being open and honest about what debts you're bringing into the relationship? That's a piece of it. Another piece of it is what do we want to do as far as parenting? Do we want to share kids? Do we never want to have kids. Is one of you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting. Some of the uh, people, right. like um, mm-hmm. I, they're, they're like already snipping themselves a little bit ahead of time. And I'm like, wow, it's interesting that you know that that young, but there are some people who are that gung ho that they're like, I'm not going to have kids. Um, but they need to have conversations about that. They need to have conversations yeah. about their values. Then one yeah. of the highest predictors of marital success is having shared values. It doesn't matter yeah. what the values are necessarily, but like that you guys are in a similar plane as far as like you know these are how I look at life this is what I what I value this is what's important to me because when you find somebody with shared values then you're going to probably be more in alignment with things like parenting or finances and then a second thing uh, to think about is even sexual values and people don't when I say sexual values people are often like well what's a sexual what do you mean like it's because we don't have any conversations about this but like Even so, like, there's an attitude of, I'll try anything once. That's a sexual value that some people have. Mm. There's other Mm. people who are like, I'll try something, but I'm not going to try any of these other things. And that's fine, but those come from your beliefs about sex and sexuality and what's okay and what's not okay. And I do think couples need to have that conversation ahead of time so that they're aware of what they're getting into. And the truth is, you even have that conversation, you need to explore that in yourself as well. Like, what do I like sexually? I think it's worth it to sow your wild oats a little bit before marriage to just even explore like, what do I like? What partners do I work well with? What partners do I Mm -hmm. suck with? Because I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen in a marriage.
0: How does, um, um, well, let's talk about sex a little bit, Angela. Um, how, how does, uh, you know, porn is such a part of our culture now, particularly for Mm -hmm. the younger men. Um, what's your views on terms of, uh, Porn and how to manage because it's a fact of life. How to how to manage it? I mean, you know, I, I don't want to say sure. Instagram is porn, but there's a lot of there's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of young people just putting it all out there uh, every sure. day, updates well, on I- everything. And it's like, you know what? It's like whatever. You know, this is a generation that says, "Hey, I'm young, I'm good looking, I'm putting it out there. This is what I'm doing. I don't have any. There's no filter. I get it." But on the other hand, you know, you used to be, you know, a guy would buy a magazine and then go in his room. Now it's Mm -hmm. like images, imagery everywhere. And it's not just a certain type of woman. It's like everywhere. So how do you, you know, it's threatening, I guess. It can be intimidating, not threatening, but let's call it intimidating for a woman in a relationship, knowing that her guy is going to be, uh, Avala- get an avalanche of these images if he just goes online you know and pokes around a little bit how do you, how, do you, how, do, how do couples manage this?
1: Well so I think attitude is everything so um, to put it out there I'm a sex positive therapist and that means that I'm always trying to take an approach that is encouraging, Um, positive ideas about sex not like uh, condemning it or uh, I I try to avoid any shame fear or guilt based messages about it because to to be honest we've had porn since the dawn of time I mean like in art a long ago there were naked people that's just old timey porn So yes, it's a little more accessible and more available, but people have always been interested in sexuality and sexual images and nudity. And so the only difference is now there are quite a few images and there's a lot available. And what a lot of couples need to just start having a conversation about is, well, what's a way to be ethical around porn? And there's this great book by David Lay that just um, recently came out called Ethical Porn for Dicks. And it's all about (laughs) how to take a positive approach to porn, but also being honest with your partner about what you're doing. So for example, um, I talk a lot about sexual ethics. And one of the sexual ethics I think is very important for couples to work towards is honesty. And so for my guys, I always tell them, you need to be honest if you're watching porn. Don't lie. Some men, because they're worried about what their females are going to think about, they say, oh, I don't watch porn. But like they recently tried to do research on men who don't watch porn and they couldn't even start the research because they could not find a single college male who not watch porn. So to like, try to say that, that like, Oh, they should just stop watching porn or that's evil is unrealistic. Men like porn, men are visual. They love seeing naked women. Um, so rather than taking that approach, it's being honest. I do watch porn. I like to do it to masturbate. I don't want to do this instead of sex. I would rather have sex with you, but this is something if I have higher desire that I do to enjoy my own sexuality. Um, and some couples find ways to look at it together and in a way that feels good to them. Other couples don't and that's okay, but porn itself is not evil. It's not something we're trying to destroy our children. It's just, it's a means to get off and it's doing its job. Um, I think as far as like, you know, I know we mentioned couples, but I think as far as porn goes for like these younger generations, I think parents just need to have a more honest approach with their kids too and say, you know, okay, yeah, you're going to like these images, but like there's more to this than just porn. There's more to sex. And I think uh, it would be great if parents could take a more educational role in like teaching them about sex because a lot of this younger generation is learning about sex through porn. And I don't know if you've watched a porn recently, but they don't have great like communication. <laughs> just, right. A lot of porn is focused more on male pleasure and not on female pleasure. Right. It doesn't mm-hmm. teach you how to please people and like really learn what, what it takes to have a long-term relationship. I mean, these people are just already in the room. <laughs> well, how, so how about,
0: how about it's this? It's
1: Yeah.
0: How, how about, how about for, um, you know, I'm thinking of the woman now where you've got these guys who, these millennial guys and they're seeing all these hotties online and it puts, to me, it seems to put, um, you know, not everybody's in the gym five days a week, four hours a day, uh, and it puts a lot of pressure. It can put a lot of pressure on some of the women because the guys are visual, so they're looking at these super hot women online, and then the woman in the relationship feels, can feel, a little bit threatened by that, or cornered or under pressure that like i have to live up to his you know his definition of what you know what he wants to look at sexually that's going to be a sexual turn-on and it seems to be you know you get yourself in kind of a on a hamster wheel with that how 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 do you advise the the men and the women and the couples about that issue if you think what i'm saying makes sense Mm
1: -hmm. no it makes sense a big part of it is um so like getting the couple talking to each other about um, what they want and what they do desire, a lot of the men while they do see those images are still very attracted to their partners. And there's a difference between a screen that's a fantasy and the person in real life. So for the males, what, what their partners need to hear is that they find them attractive, that they really want to be sexual with their partner, that um, there is no comparison. It's not the same. Sex in real life is beautiful and it's special and, I think that if if those guys are putting a lot of effort into making their sex life strong and healthy, then the porn becomes kind of this thing that doesn't really matter, but there's a piece to it that the females have to work on too. And that's personal Mm -hmm. self-confidence. I think our culture is very, um, very shaming towards women like that. Anytime a woman is sexual, often she can be slut shamed. And so there's, there's like this extra stigma associated for females with females trying to be sexual. And so I think also as a society, we need to be encouraging of women boring their sexuality and, uh, and encouraging of putting normal visuals out there because, you know, even in like the magazines, like step out of porn, even in magazines, they're, they're um, photoshopping it so that it looks like everybody has these perfect bodies and women need to know that they're beautiful in their natural state. And so a piece of it is some self-confidence work. A piece of it is some sex education for both the males and the females um, so that they, they know that that's not real. Porn was never meant to be an educational tool. And um, to some degree, that's where it can cause some harm is that, you know, if people are using it as their sole way of learning about sex or like sometimes, for example, I'll have a situation where the guy is using more porn than he is trying to have sex. And in those situations, that is when porn is becoming unethical because it's actually taking away from the sex life. And so if ever anything in your relationship, whether it be porn or alcohol or honestly any, any vice, if it's taking you out of the relationship and, and taking you away from being a really good, valuable partner, then you really need to look at the look at the behavior and see if you can come and find ways to make changes. Um, but like, I know plenty of women who aren't, um, they're not threatened by looking at porn. They look at it themselves. Plenty of people watch amateur porn. I've talked to people about what they watch. Like I knew this guy, for example, who had a, he had a bigger woman, but even when he watches porn, he watches big, beautiful women. You know, like Mm -hmm. a lot of times people are watching the kind of porn that they're already attracted to, and they tend to pick a partner that is similar to that.
0: How how about, um, you know, with what's going on now where all of these, uh, there's so many men who have been kind of, uh, 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 accused and found uh, guilty by their own admission of uh abusing their power uh, and expressing yeah. it in a sexual way with women in an unwelcomed way and um, that 's obviously an issue and then when you have the other issue something you touched on, which is you know a lot of women want to be able to express themselves sexually and mm-hmm. it makes it really tough for women where on one hand they have to be repressed sexually. And they still have guys all handsy. And then if they come out and they express themselves sexually, that's sending out a signal that they're inviting something that they're not inviting. They're just expressing themselves. Mm -hmm. It's really tough for ladies now. What do you you, uh, advise them? How do you advise them?
1: Well, so this goes to another one of my sexual ethics codes. I have a whole list. One is consent. Consent culture. And part of why consent culture is very important is that I think that people are making decisions based on nonverbal cues rather than verbal cues. And so consent, when we, when we educate people about having consent conversations, the first and foremost, we try to make it sexy and fun. Because sometimes when people think of consent, they think of like two people at a table with a briefcase writing a contract. Okay, we're allowed to kiss in this way. Yes, you can do oral sex. Okay, we sign and now we're allowed to move forward. And, well, I mean, that's a funny way of looking at it. The reality is consent should be happening all the time. Like, hey, are we, are we having fun? Are you okay with what's happening? And it needs to be both verbal and nonverbal. And so where I see the problem is, is people aren't educated in how to have consent conversations and how to really read both the verbal and the nonverbal. And why the nonverbal is important too is that sometimes somebody may say yes, but their body and their face says, no, I'm feeling uncomfortable. So just because somebody says yes doesn't mean you should take that lip service and go forward if you can tell somebody is literally stiff in front of you. There's clearly some nonverbal communication that I'm just uncomfortable with what's happening. And so I think people need to be educated about how, how to have those conversations and how to keep having those conversations that your sex life whether you're single or married is something that should be negotiated and renegotiated again and again. And that consent once doesn't mean consent all the time. And actually when I work with trauma victims, one of my most common starts to treatment is teaching them how to have these consenting conversations and how to have them in a more productive way with their partner so that literally every, every step of the way in their sexual experience, they're consenting to what's happening. They're mentally present because what happened with the trauma is that they weren't consenting, that they were forced to do something they were against. And that's where the real trauma is. It's in non-consent. And so if we can have more honest conversations about how to do that and to be really respectful if somebody is not there or not consenting, then I think people could be better to each other. I think that's one piece of it. A second piece is boundaries. Um, People need to be able to explore what's comfortable and not comfortable in terms of boundaries in their sexual relationships. One way I've been describing boundaries is that boundaries make it safe for people to come in and so, for example, even in a teenage relationship, say, say the girl's ready to kiss, but she's not ready to go beyond that. Well, she needs to be able to set that boundary with her partner and say, you know, I'm open to making out. I don't want to do any handsy stuff. Let's stay at this place for a time. And what happens then is if she has a partner who's like, yeah, of course, I want to respect that boundary. I understand we're just getting comfortable with each other then she's more likely to go to the next phase with that man right, exactly. versus the one who's pressuring her and saying, why don't you want to do more? What's wrong with you? Everybody else wants to do it. That's not respecting a boundary. That's pressuring a boundary. And actually that like if you were to imagine a boundary, like a fence around somebody's house, imagine like this is a person basically standing at the fence and shaking it and saying, you know, like if you had that neighbor shaking their fence, they wouldn't, you wouldn't let them in. You'd probably call the cops. And yet this kind of behavior happens every day where people are like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you want to do this? Everybody else wants to do that. That's not respecting a boundary. And so I think even in that regard, we need to have honest conversations about like what a boundary is, how to be a respectful partner on both sides, female or male. Females can do the same thing. And sometimes females get away with crossing boundaries because they're women and I guess they're pretty. (laughs) But the reality is you can cross a man's boundaries too. And everybody needs to be respected.
0: Okay, um, most men would like you to cross their boundaries that I know, but (laughs) I have to totally understand what you're saying. Um,
1: Well, as long as there's a conversation that they're open to, usually then it's not a boundary. Yeah, yeah.
0: the couples who come to you, um, wh- what is the kind of pig in the python in terms of the issues? Um, what, what are most couples, if you could say, and is it like 50% of them, or I know everybody's different, but you know, there's, I'm sure, like, listen, I do hypnosis, and uh, the, the three things that we, we deal with people the most are becoming a non-smoker, sleeping better, weight management, to me, it, the bigger issue is uh, self-esteem. Um, okay. And that's, that's those four things are really what everything flows through. Number one is the self-esteem, and all the other stuff is, to mm-hmm. me, kind of spokes on the wheel. When people come to you for your services, and it's a couple, what are you yeah. usually uh, hearing from them?
1: Well, there's, all, there's often confidence. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's often a confidence issue going on, and I totally agree with you. A big piece of getting comfortable in your relationship, getting comfortable in yourself is is, is like acceptance, it's being able to get comfortable with who you are, getting to know what's important to you, that making it okay for you to have a preference and then putting it out there. And I, I think that, you know, some piece of this is always confidence that like, I think as a as a culture, we need to help people to be accepting of themselves so they can be accepting of others. I've noticed that when people are more self-critical, they tend to do more of the behaviors that they don't want to do. So for example, let's, let's bring porn back into the mix. So like if a guy is very critical and damning of himself when it comes to pornography, he is more likely to watch more porn than if he can be very accepting of himself and and, and even forgiving, like even if he wants to shift the behavior, being able to say, you know what, you know, I made a mistake, but you know what, I, I still want to, I'm going to get back on the wagon, I want to help, I want to be more of a sexual partner with my wife, and, and while porn is a part of my life, I don't want it to be all of my life. And so I think a big part of behavior change for it to be successful is like deep empathy for yourself as a human being.
0: Okay, um, your new book that's coming out uh, next spring, it looks like, or early spring, "Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity: A Therapist Manual." What's the thinking behind mm-hmm. that, Angela?
1: Well, it's 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 been a tough. I'll say it's been a tough write because the truth is, half of my practice is infidelity. Um, Like I was talking about earlier, a a big portion, I I sometimes just feel like 40 is the age where everybody just crashes and burns it all to the ground. Now I know not everybody does it, but it's such a high number and such a high number in my practice that it makes me feel that way. But the thinking behind it was, I've noticed that a lot of couples will have done other therapy that was unhelpful and they'll come to me and they'll, they'll stay with me for an entire year working through it because they, they did need to talk about some of these topics and they, you know, like they went to a therapy where basically they kind of had chit chats. They maybe tried to work on the relationship, but they didn't have specific things to do to make the situation better. Um, One of the things that I, one of the things I try to cover is like, these are the specific milestones that help people feel like they're actually getting through this situation. After an affair, the impact is just devastating. If you were to just imagine like Mm -hmm. your marriage is a mirror, like it's crashed and shattered on the ground. Essentially couples go through this huge roller coaster of high highs and low lows, and they have no idea what to do. And the biggest thing they need from their therapist is guidance direction. And the crazy thing is, is a lot of therapists have been trained in this kind of um, don't have an agenda, just kind of let them lead. And the problem with this, this particular issue and fidelity is, nobody knows what to do (laughs) after infidelity. Like, yes, you can ask them what their goals are, but a lot of them are like, I have no idea what to do. My whole life has fallen apart. Please give me some step to take because I'm lost. And so I've really just tried to identify, like these are the kinds of steps that help people get through this. So some of the things are clarity. That's one of the chapters, which is basically Mm -hmm. people need to ask a bunch of questions and understand a little bit about, how things happened, why things happened, and, um, you know, what were some of the steps that led to this in the relationship. They need clarity on their emotions and and why they've gotten to this point. Another piece is they need to feel deeply acknowledged for the pain that it was caused as a a result of the infidelity. And for the person who did cheat, they, they sometimes need acknowledgement for like if they felt abandoned in the marriage, for example, some of these things are happening after like years of a sexless marriage. And so not that I'm saying one is an excuse for the other. I never, like people are always responsible for their choices, but I could understand why somebody would feel so lonely in a sexless marriage that they might consider going elsewhere. So that makes sense? Like it's kind of, I don't think it's okay to cheat, and I understand why it happens. <laughs> so it's so a nice Double way of saying that, but, like, that's a piece of what needs to happen. Another thing that they need is help with reducing the crisis. So, like, it's a big crisis after an infidelity, and people have a tendency to make the situation worse, not better. And so in that first chapter, I just talk about all the ways people can make, an like, after an infidelity comes out, all the different ways people can make it worse. Like, for example, a revenge affair, you know, like, I'm going to have an affair because you had an affair. I understand why somebody would want to do that, but that's not going to make the situation better. Um, So like, yeah, just identify like not making a big decision, for example, like it's the worst time to make a big decision because you're so emotional. Mm -hmm. You can't really think logically, but like at Mm -hmm. that time, right after the crisis, people want to like burn their house or like move to California. And it's like, actually that's going to have a lot of consequences that may or may not be good for your life. Maybe you should slow down. Um, and then I cover like how to rebuild trust, like what are tangible ways to do that, as opposed to like, okay, let's just let time pass and hope for the best. Time doesn't necessarily build trust. It's actions that build trust, and, and okay. people need to have an awareness about how to do that.
0: All right. Tell you what, we have a, actually, we have a caller. Will you be up for taking a oh, call? Okay, sure. I have no idea who they are. It's, they're calling from 617, and I'm going to ask the caller to state your name, uh, where you're from, and what your question is for Angela. Good evening, and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Who am I speaking to? Oh, hi. I don't
1: have a question, but my name is
0: Sheba. Okay. You're calling into the show, though, so you have no question?
1: No, I'm just listening
0: in. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much.
1: <laughs> well, thanks All for right. listening. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Thank you.
1: All right.
0: So let's 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 continue. Uh, feel free to ask a question if you have one, though, if one comes up. We're, we're wrapping up soon. I have one. Um, okay. I was reading uh, another... Uh, post about um robots sex robots today and yeah. they're happening it's it's uh you know they're not there in terms of like mirroring a human that's not there but in 10 years time it's going to be completely different and i'm wondering from a professional's point of view what you're thinking is in terms of is is this something that society should embrace should be open to do you think it'll prevent sex crimes uh, is it uh, dysfunctional what's your thoughts because it's gonna happen
1: yeah I'm guessing it's gonna happen um you know it's a it's a little bit of a loaded question so the the honest answer is just that as long as we're being ethical with the sex robots then I mean have a sex have robot I see them huh well yeah exactly like maybe'll they'll, they'll have artificial intelligence maybe they'll be able to have relationships I think there was a movie recently out where they had like humans having cheese. relationships with artificial, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah intelligence. And so I'm, I don't think I'm against it. I just think that, you know, in in the effort of being an ethical sexual person, you need to be honest with your partner. You need to make sure that there's consent for all parties. So, like, say your partner is really uncomfortable with a sex robot, then there's no consent, which means either you pick a partner who's open to using a robot or, then you respect your partner's values and and try to find a way to make a good sex life with your partner. But if there's not mutual consent, then that is sexually unethical. Another Mm -hmm. piece to being sexually ethical is mutual pleasure. And so, like, I could see some couples using it to have threesomes or foursomes, but just in a way that maybe feels a little safer. I
0: hadn't thought of that. (laughs) Let me ask you this. I was just imagining
1: that as a possibility. Like, (laughs) How how about (laughs) this?
0: Uh, You know, the way I was thinking of it is, let's say, there's a couple and they're in a relationship. And like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, sometimes uh, uh, one of the partners, let's say more frequently, the woman might like she got over the sex thing. She's not that into it. And it's like, oh, no, I've got to do this again with him. And he's like, OK, he's frustrated. And it's like, all right, I won't go see another woman. But if I can, like, get it on with this robot, it'll make it a lot easier because I know I can always get sex when I want. It's not human. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a good relationship. I mean, these type of issues, I think, are going to come up. Uh, I think that's Well, they the probably future. will. It's got to happen. Any thoughts on that, or I'm, wait, am I ten years ahead? I that would depend it, on the say, partner.
1: It would depend mm-hmm. on if the partner is okay with that. Like there are partners, there are people who are asexual. Like they exist. That they just they don't. They're not interested in sex. It just is no. not a part mm-hmm. of what they want. And so I could easily see a partner like that being like, you know, yeah, feel free. If we can have this relationship side of things, but you get your sex taken care of elsewhere, feel free. But I know women and men of completely opposite point of view who would be very unhappy with the idea of somebody having sex with another person, even an AI. Like these are also the people in the world who don't like their partners masturbating to porn or maybe those people. And so in these situations, people need to be honest and upfront about what they do and what they like sexually so that you can either make a conscious decision at the beginning of the relationship that you can handle that part of their sex life or not, or you can make an empathy uh, decision in the relationship that, you know what, I think having a good sex life with my partner is more important than having a sex life with a robot. Um, Mm -hmm. But there will always be ethical issues because people aren't always, I mean, you know, I'm trying to create an ideal world here, right? And the reality is we live with humans. There will be people who hurt each other. And, And so, I mean, the best thing is to have lots of conversations about it and communicate about what's okay or not okay. And then if ever you're in a relationship where you're unhappy with the way your partner is being sexually, as long as you've communicated that and they haven't tried to change it, then sometimes you need to find somebody who is in line with your values and your sexual interests. Because not everybody is meant to be here. Not everybody meshes well. And that's kind of a reality of the situation, too.
0: Okay. Last question for you, Angela. And thank you for being such a good guest. Uh, Angela Skirt, who's our uh, special guest on Guys Guys Radio. She's a speaker and author, couples therapist, sex therapist. Her current book is... Premarital counseling, a guide for clinicians, but consumers will get a lot out of it also. It's got a lot of great ideas. What would be, uh, very quickly, your uh, one piece of advice for men and one piece of advice for women in terms of what they could do better to make relationships work?
1: So, for men, I think it would be very important for them to. Not get all their education from porn, but find ways to learn about sex that are actually productive and more research-oriented. Books that are great are like The Guide to Getting It On, um, like I mentioned that book before. The Ethical um, Ethical Porn for Dicks. I would I would find any website that is sex positive and that offers a lot of research and just arm yourself with facts about sex, because the more facts you have, the easier you are, it is for you to communicate about what you want and what's okay. And even learn like what all the sexual ethics are. That's what I would suggest for the guys and for the girls, I would suggest they masturbate as much as possible so they can explore their bodies And get comfortable with themselves because I think women are given this message that they're not allowed to be sexual and it's bad for them. Women, you're sexual. You're sexual people and it's okay for you to be sexual. And if you can get comfortable with your body enough to masturbate and explore what actually feels good, then you can actually communicate that to your partner and get more of what you want in bed so that your desire lasts and is stronger. So those would be my two Great. pieces of advice. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, fantastic. Fantastic. Good stuff. Um, tell our listeners where they can uh, learn more about you, where they can get your book, and when we can expect your yeah. new book.
1: Yeah. So both books are available currently at Amazon. The one is a pre-order, of course, the Infidelity book. Um, you can actually see me as a therapist at www.therapistinsaintlouis.com. That's my business website. And you can check out the podcast at www dot about sex podcast.com or just look up about sex with Angela skirt because I have such a weird last name. It's very easy to find me.
0: Fantastic. Well, listen, thanks so much, Angela. It's been a pleasure meeting you and having you a guest on guys guys radio and keep up doing all the good work and uh, watch out for the robots. (laughs)
1: thank you for having me an interesting topic i didn't even think about robots
0: (laughs) i just i just saw a couple of things in the last couple of days and i'm like wow it's really happening
1: Uh, yeah it's a new world man
0: (laughs) yep all right well listen take care happy holidays and uh, thanks so much for being our guest on guys guys radio
1: okay folks thank you for having um, me
0: You're welcome. We're going to take a very quick break. I'm going to do the guys guys guide for the week and then uh, we will uh, tell you about next week's guest and we'll sign off from there. So let's take a very quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny. Um, I like to do a little segment at the end of our show called uh, Guys Guys Guide every week. And what I do is I tackle one topic. It's usually something that I've written about or will be writing about on my blog on robertmanny.com. So um, this week, um, I am going to write about uh, 10 cheap dates in and around New York City. It's so expensive uh, to date if you're single You know, you go out a couple, especially in a big city. You go out, you have a couple of drinks at a nice lounge. Maybe you have an appetizer, tax, tip, Uber. You know, you're 150 bucks, and uh, that might be some for somebody you've never even met before uh, in person. So you have to know how to spend your money, and you have to know how to find uh, ways of getting to know somebody um, without spending a lot of money. So In and around New York, I'm going to give you a couple of ideas. There's 10 of them that I'm writing about. I'm going to give you five tonight. I'm going to give you five next week. So the first, number one, and excuse the, uh, I got sirens from Mount Sinai in the background coming into our studio, but uh, (laughs) that's okay. So number one is uh, Highline. If you haven't been to New York or you've been to New York and you haven't experienced uh, the Highline, it's well worth doing. It's free. It's a old railway, elevated railway uh, uh, tram, uh, railway uh, uh, tracks, really, that are above ground. Uh, they're a couple of stories up, and you, you can get on from down in the Meatpacking District around 14th Street and a little bit south of there, and it goes all the way up, wraps all the way around to 34th Street uh, down by the Hudson River. And uh, they've refurbished it. It got started about 10 years ago or so. Bloomberg, David Bowie, they had a whole bunch of people who got behind it because there were elevated trains that uh, carried freight uh, on the west side for many years. And it just went uh, vacant and fat barren. And, you know, the overgrowth covered things up and it just sat there for years and years and decades and decades. And they said, Hey, you know what? We should do something with it. Well, you know what? They did a great job and it's finished now. Um, so you can take that walk. It leads all the way up from <clears throat> down in uh, the meatpacking district, all the way up through the new Hudson yards, which is like a city within the city that's springing up on the far West side in the, uh, uh low thirties. And um, it finishes up uh, on 34th Street, um, a beautiful place to walk. A lot of people haven't checked it out. And uh, there's places to stop along the way. You can just walk downstairs at some of the many uh, uh, exits and entrance stairways, and you can get coffee. There's coffee places. There's a brewery. Um, and there's lots of places to get a quick bite. So, uh, and it's free. And if you just want to take a walk and get to know somebody, It's free. The High Line, New York City. Um, In the same vein, a couple of other New York landmarks. You know what? You can never go wrong with Central Park. Central Park is gorgeous. It has everything. It's got the zoo. It's got um, if you're a runner, you can go for a run. You can play tennis. There's all kinds of events. I went to the Central Park uh, tree lighting last week. It was fantastic. They have a flotilla of evergreens out in the Harlem mirror. Uh, They had carolers singing. They had hot chocolate. They had cookies. They had ice sculptors and it was all for free. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, no pun intended. But, you know, you can do so many things in Central Park. You can go out on a boat. You can take a walk. You can get a couple city bikes and go for a ride. You can go to the Central Park Zoo. It's just just fabulous. I, I run in Central Park all the time, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful place. They keep making it more and more beautiful. So it's a great place to get to know somebody and it's free. Um, Also, same thing, Battery Park City. If you're on the Lower West Side, it is gorgeous. Um, You can go sailing, you can go kayaking, you can go out on a boat, you can walk around, there's lots of cafes, places to get stuff to eat, uh, places to sit and watch the boats. There's playgrounds, there's all kinds of stuff. You can go for a run, you can ride your bike. All along the Lower West Side in the Battery Park City area, fantastic, taking you all the way down. and There's lots of restaurants and places to grab a beer and stuff. Um, a little curveball here, but also another New York landmark is Koreatown. Koreatown is on, but the bulk of it is on West 32nd Street between uh, 5th and 6th Avenue. And uh, it's multi-tiered, so there's many levels of different places to go. But on the bottom level is a, a ton of korean restaurants and korean food is very healthy it's very delicious it's very savory and um it's not expensive at all you can get a tofu stew for like about 11 10 or 11 bucks it's super nutritious very tasty dinner lunch or dinner for two you can do for you know 30 bucks and you'll be very satiated and it's a they also have karaoke bars and they have some good coffee places and it's just different and there's all kinds of different culture there that most uh you know most uh. Most folks are not that aware of the Korean culture, and it's a fantastic, very fascinating culture. So Koreatown and the food's amazing. Um, And the last place I'll mention for this part of the uh, podcast is uh, the West 72nd Street Boat Basin. And I mention this because there's a little cafe there. If you go on West 72nd Street all the way to the west side uh, where you can get a little bite to eat. Very inexpensive. You know, it's like cafe food. And then there's all types of benches and places to walk along the West side, Riverside Park is that area. And uh, that's where I went on the first date with my wife to be. Uh, We went out. I met her on 72nd Street and Broadway. We walked over to uh, to the boat basin. Um, We had a bite to eat. Then we went for a walk and we sat and we people watched and. I walked her back to her transportation to get home, and then we started dating. And here we are, years later, with a four-year-old son. So, uh, very romantic place in the springtime and in the summer, and it's uh, free. Uh, if you want to get something neat, of course you pay. But those are five very reasonable ideas. Now, of course, these are for like first or second dates. Uh, you're not going all out at this time. You're just getting to know somebody. But it's a little bit different. You can always meet somebody and have a beer or a glass of wine or coffee, whatever it is they like. But if you want to do something a little bit different, see, here's a couple of things to consider. So that's our show for this evening. That's our Guys Guys Radio. Again, it's Wednesday, December 6th. Wow, the year has flown by. Next week, we've got relationship expert Fauna Solomon's going to be back with us on Guys Guys Radio. She's a fantastic uh, dating coach. I can't wait to get her back here. And um, it's been a good show. Um, So once again, as I always like to say, have a great week. And remember that, guys, guys, finish first.